Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the Gravescast. Holy crap, we made it to 10 episodes. I feel like uh, most podcasts end up dying by 7, so this is a uh, good sign for the future for sure. Anyways, uh, to cut to the chase, today we got a aspiring computer scientist, a guitar playing hobbyist, and the most charming fellow you'll ever meet. We have Siddharth Kala. How are you doing today? Oh, sorry, Sid Kala. <laughs> How are you doing, I'm Sid? Good. I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, doing pretty good. Thanks for coming on. Now, yeah, no problem. I think uh, one of the biggest things we have in common, uh, something that you kept sending me memes for, was uh, Cobra Kai. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. That is correct. So Cobra Kai is a show that basically builds off of the first Karate Kid uh, and pretty much focuses on the, I guess, what, 30 years later between Johnny, who is the antagonist of the first film, and Daniel, which was the uh, protagonist, obviously. And right. they, they kind of more so take more of a mentorship role uh, in the series. It's a TV series, 10 episodes a season, and it's just kind of following their lives after the uh, tournament event. So right now, uh, season three has ended and season four is on its way. So we thought it would be a good time to kind of discuss what we thought of season three and what we're kind of predicting for season four. So what did uh, you like about season three, Sid? Um. So I'd say season three was probably uh, my second favorite season. I wasn't that big of a fan of the second one because there were a bunch of flaws in it, I feel like. But the the phase of uh, having Miguel uh, recover from his injuries and the introduction, or not introduction, but uh, the coming back of Ali in the show was a pretty nice touch. and also they started including a bunch of og cast members from the original movies that was pretty nice to see yeah they have really um because i'm not generally a big fan of reboots um but like cobra kai is like one reboot that's actually made good use of uh the time uh factor in here because uh, you can see that all of your favorite characters from the original movies, how they've grown old, how they've, um, uh, how time has passed in the sense that they've had a lot of character development. You can see Johnny, who's the antagonist in the original series, is something of a protagonist in the show. Someone like you feel bad right? for. Yep, definitely. <laughs> Do do you feel like the original show, not show, sorry, movie had actually like a lot of substance to it? Because I've gone back and rewatched, it and I just found the characters were pretty one dimensional in a way. I mean, I feel like Cobra Kai really flushes it out to like actual characters rather than yep, just focusing is, on the plot. Yep, that is definitely true. Um, I not I haven't been a big fan of the sequels of the original one, but. Um, because I think they had a bit more character development for um, Daniel there, but uh, I'd say like yeah, uh, it definitely adds a lot more depth to the original cast. You feel like uh, Jaden Smith wasn't good enough? <laughs> uh, there, yeah. So the spinoff, or not so much as a spinoff, but the I think the best part about that movie was probably just um, Jackie Chan. Yeah, totally agree on that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I watched the original actually after watching that spinoff. So 
You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I feel I feel like there's always a special place in the heart for that, but at the same time, you can kind of recognize where all the flaws were and everything. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Did you feel like Cobra Kai season three kind of had like you know there there I feel like there's a suspension of disbelief in the first two seasons like. Uh, spoilers, of course, at the end of season two, you have that huge fight in the school where Miguel goes on to fucking oh, yeah. break his neck. Probably I mean, the best part, not him breaking his, not him breaking his back, but just the fight scenes and the action sequences are probably one of the best parts about season two. Yeah, but I mean, like, I feel like it was, it wasn't too, like, that can happen at a school, right? But now you mm-hmm. see season three where it's like almost like johnny and daniel become beat cops you have uh <sighs> like dude imagine the cops were actually like in the show like could they really like how, how are these kids not getting charged for assault and battery by like breaking daniel's house apart and like and breaking people's that, that arms a, yep that is a very good point um yeah there's no, there does not feel a certain form of realism to the show um they do try to keep the action sequences uh sequences grounded of course but uh, in terms of actually this, like these things happening in a school environment is pretty hard to believe. I don't know, like some of it where it's like you had Hawk breaking, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name, uh, Dimitri, Dimitri's right. arm. Like I thought that was a pretty big turning point because I don't feel mm-hmm. like they show that type of stuff a lot in movies. Like have you ever seen like John Wick 3, like when they, mm-hmm. when he's about to like, drop the hatch into that guy's eye like everyone's turning away you don't see that shit right. so seeing someone actually like get their arm broken like hearing the snap of the bone it was yep. it was grounded it was, in a way but yeah it was something new but it, i wouldn't say it's as gory as john wick but <laughs> yeah but definitely something that you wouldn't see coming and you'd kind of turn your face away when you saw that for the first time yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. I think uh, probably part of the better parts of the seasons were definitely like like you touched on Ali. I think that was fantastic because mm-hmm. it was it was very grounding. Like it brought back the characters to kind of their I guess teenage years, and yep. you just kind of see the growth and maturity, and somehow that brings them together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't get how you keep seeing like you know Daniel and Johnny like hating each other one moment and then back together yeah. the other moment and yep. having, having ali be the one to kind of reconnect them was really weird that was yeah that was pretty and i mean like the that's probably the like in the original movies like that's something that they fought over and having that um that same person kind of bring them back near the end of season three was something that's very nice to see I guess kind of a callback, and I guess on one hand, there wasn't really any closure from the first movie in regards to that, right? Yeah. So I feel like they closed that chapter. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to see her end up with Johnny. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, well, well, I guess we'll find out in season four, for which we actually have another uh, original cast member showing up. Uh, it's from. It's actually from. I think the third movie. But it's uh, I actually have not seen that movie, so Terry DeSilva uh, would, yeah, would be pretty interesting to see him come back. I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of uh, background on it. Pretty much, I think mm-hmm. Daniel wanted to get better at uh, you know 
I guess just say karate for the sake of it. And so right. Mr. Miyagi didn't want to like go further. So he went out and tried to, you know, find someone else who would work with him. So for mm-hmm. some reason, the whole plot of the movie is that, okay, you know what? We're going to get like, this guy was part of Cobra Kai and everything. Like one of the kind of uh, old friends of uh, Sensei Kreese. And so basically right. he kind of played the imposter. He's like, oh yeah, you know, come to my dojo. We'll teach you. And his whole plot was to just like get Daniel to hurt himself. Like he's like, oh yeah, you know, punch the steel, uh, like punching bag. Like it'll make you tougher. And then so that when they go into the tournament, Sensei Kreese can come back with another student and like kick his ass. Like <laughs> it was such a bad plot. Line. Yeah. It, yeah, definitely. The sequels do not at all live up to the first one as goes the same for a lot of movies it it's definitely hard to come up with uh sequels that actually deliver or try to um keep up with the originals or the first movies if uh especially if the first movie was really successful like for sure there's obviously sequels like empire strikes back that actually uh did a lot better than the first one they made improvements like areas that the first one was lacking in um but those are a lot more iconic and in general sequels are kind of hard to do well i feel like it's also recognition right like when star wars first came out you know george lucas steven spielberg were all kind of like nameless directors and shit right but i mean with even with like cobra kai it was on youtube i think premium or something at the start Mm -hmm. so there was no real recognition no one really knew about it it, it was only till Netflix acquired it a couple of years ago that uh, people actually got to watch it and were like, oh, damn, this is very cool. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like uh, in a way it just came down to having to you know, reinforce that and expand the audience more than anything that made it more successful. I wouldn't say like yep. season two is better than season one or anything like that, but I think really mm-hmm. the exposure won people over. <laughs> yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's funny how you mentioned Star Wars because, in a way, I don't know about you, dude. I feel like I talked to you about this already, but at the end of mm-hmm. season three, it just fucking felt like Return of the Jedi. Like when you saw, <laughs> it's like Kreese was Palpatine, or Robbie was like Luke, and then fucking uh, Johnny was like Vader or something. It was oh, so yeah. weird. It was like, Robbie, yeah. come back with me. Like we can go to the light side, <laughs> or I guess reverse. Robbie is Vader, and uh, yeah, yeah, Johnny is Luke. I know. And then, yeah, I mean, you know how it goes. It's just, yeah, it was it was very weird to see how because there's no, it's not like you know there's soldiers like going against each other on some certain belief. Mm-hmm. It's literally a child learning karate. <laughs> like, yeah, how can you bring those dramatized elements to this? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's astounding. <laughs> I mean, I you... mean, there's yeah, there's also like an appeal to younger audiences not a lot of plot lines i feel like they have different plot lines to appeal to different audiences some people care more about romantic plot lines like the the thing with miguel the the love triangle between miguel sam and robbie and um some people care more just about the action sequences so there's a little bit of uh, everything for people to find here but usually i found that um so like an appeal to younger audiences is definitely there so you can see how like daniel it's kind of like your your good guy the the eagle scout um <laughs> and the like johnny's more of a badass yeah <laughs> the 
play different kids would appeal to different um, uh, different kind of characters there. What do you what do you personally want to see out of season four? Um, not sure because there's a lot of I I want some resolution between Johnny and his son to yeah. like actually have him come back to his dad, but there's a lot of plot lines because uh, a bunch of characters they actually did not show up in season three that were in season two. Uh, I kind of want I I do like how. Eli or like Hawk is back with Dimitri by the end of season three. Yeah, uh, that friendship that rekindled that was pretty good. I do, do want to see Crease again. That would be pretty great. Um, I feel like he's a pretty strong villain and uh, definitely has something going for in season four for sure. I feel like for me, I agree with you in regards to you know seeing all the characters and stuff. Um, I think it'd be for me the major thing is just resolving you know the johnny and uh robbie drama because i feel like right. we've been like kind of teased the entire time by it like sometimes you know they're warming up to each other i mean it's the same thing with daniel and johnny right um yeah. it's just back and forth back and forth back and forth and i mean outside, yep. outside of that i kind of want to see Really more so, I guess, the takedown of Crease and, I guess, Terry De Silva now. Because, I mean, in the mm-hmm. end, I feel like they're on their last legs. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm guessing the final sequence would be something where Johnny and Daniel, like, settling it for, like, forever. Like, just having yeah. one last fight. But that's kind of, like, something that's predictable. I'm not sure if that's actually going to happen. I think, but, if, yeah. I think it needs yeah, to happen. I mean, what? Oh yeah. I don't know about you. I don't want a season five. <laughs> yeah, if you like, like, they might be kind of scraping the barrel there because they're really using the the original cast members uh, pretty effectively. Um, but if they don't have, and what they do have is a lot of that good action sequences and strong character development, but they might be running out of uh, out of substance here because they can't just. Uh, hold strong on the nostalgia factor of you having seen those uh, movies as a kid and you're like oh now you're all grown up and you're like oh these are all my favorite characters they've grown old now so that nostalgia factor is going to wear off pretty soon well i think it's it's just a case of how far can you like like you're right the characters are good what they've done so far with plot lines is good like you know miguel recovering from an injury like i feel like that's something that has no, it's not really tackled too much in TV. I mean, mm-hmm. in some shows for sure, but I mean, I don't think it's a huge plot line that people tend to tackle. So stuff like that was fantastic. But I mean, in the end, I just, I feel like what season one wrapped up with like, you know, um, God, how did season one wrap up? Just winning the tournament? Uh, Miguel winning, uh, winning the fight uh, over uh, uh, against Robbie in the tournament. Okay, so we have that. Season yeah. two, Robbie wins. And then season three, mm-hmm. we have Robbie going in over to Crease's dojo. I mean, but, did Robbie really win, though? Because, like, I thought Miguel won, but he showed mercy. Yeah. And then Robbie took advantage of that and kind of screwed over Miguel there. I mean, you got a point. I'm just, I'm just more so saying, like, around the idea of like karate as a topic. I feel like they've kind of extended it as far as they can go, and I feel like they're starting to just repeat a lot of plot lines. So, I think season yeah. four's got to be the last one. I think it's, 
you know, definitely the the big bad is just Crease and Terry De Silva. You, there's there's not going to be another big like really they they were the antagonists of the first three films I think so they can't really right. bring more into it. <laughs> I mean, I thought Chosen was going to be an antagonist or like some <laughs> uh, like some kind of antagonist in season three, but it <laughs> the that was a pretty good twist that he's actually <laughs> not that mad. Dude, that <laughs> With, was so uh, good. Yeah, that was a pretty good scene. But yeah, I mean, it, it, going international, you know what? Perhaps they could do that. But I feel like, if anything, if they're going to tackle a fourth season, I think if anything, maybe they try and go international between mm-hmm. uh, episodes five and ten, resolve the crease stuff by episode five, and then end off strong. Have have the kids take a victory in like Japan or like a world like championships rather than, you know, just the all-valley championship. Right. So, and then outside of that, I think you guys see the end, or else it's going to become a Riverdale. <laughs> they're going to oh, see, yeah. they're they're going to find like the first master of karate and like bring him back from the dead or some shit. <laughs> oh, and bring Mr. Miyagi back. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah, yeah oh. I don't think I want to see that. <laughs> I I mean, you would end up watching it, right? You gotta. I probably, yeah. I, I need to know how it ends, obviously. Uh, I mean, you went yeah. through, what, like, a thousand episodes of One Piece or something? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, like, a lot of TV shows that I've caught up on, and I binge a lot. Like, Game of Thrones, I, I, my plan was to bring, uh, binge it over my summer vacation, but that actually lasted just one week. Oh, my God. I was, I was out of material really fast. You sound so. like the type of guy who's able to make it through, like, the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy on his lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And I don't uh, play it at, you know, double speed or anything. It just, uh, yeah, it's just like keep watching. Could could you watch the entirety of uh, Tarantino's movies all in one sitting? Like the entire 10? Um, what, what makes you think I haven't done that already? Well, I just I just think you're a huge Tarantino yeah. fan, and I think yep. we've, we've uh, got some different opinions on that. I've got yeah, I've had a Tarantino like marathons, but usually I split them into like mini marathons. You know, try to watch like three, four Tarantino movies at once. It's fun, but like w- like when you watch them together like that, like one after the other, you kind of you kind of feel like oh, there's there's some similarities. Like there's definitely. You can you can see like ten minutes in a movie, and then you can say, hmm, I'm "Like, pretty sure this is a Tarantino movie, even yeah. if you haven't seen it before." There's a lot of characteristics and like quirks you can find, like non-linear uh, storytelling, and there's usually like the movies are split up into the classic Tarantino three-phase part, where yep. the first part is a lot is a very uh, it's try it tries. It tries to get you into an engaging conversation, like Reservoir Dogs. Um, then the middle act is where Tarantino movies are actually the weakest, because usually, like when I was watching The Hateful Eight, I kind of, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I found uh, myself bored to death because the middle part was actually very weak. But the end, the 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 third part is actually where all the tension that boiled up uh releases at once and it's like it's madness like it's usually very gory or it's very action heavy so gory in the sense of kill bill kill bill 2 and once upon a time in hollywood but yeah and even uh the hateful eight but 
the, the, I think the third act is probably the most fun to watch. Like, to cut the man himself, like, violence is fun to watch. Yeah. And that's what a lot of his movies are about. Well, it's the glorification of it, right? If if yep. you if you had to make a rankings for his movies, like, what do you think would go more towards the top, what towards the middle, and what's kind of, like, the worst of the worst? Top, I would say, I think, like, my favorite one is Hands Down Reservoir Dogs. Um, I would also put Pulp Fiction uh, somewhere near the top. Uh, along with Inglorious Bastards, like that movie's so fun to watch, and Django Unchained. Uh, Kill Bill, though, like, would be somewhere in the middle. Like, uh, it was pretty fun to watch, but not a lot of substance there. It's very stylish, but not much, uh, like, not a lot of plot there. Yeah. Uh, and there, uh, yeah, I think. Kill Bill, like, I would put them near the end, those two, and along with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We we differ then, because for me, like, I agree with you. I think Reservoir Dogs, best movie he's ever done. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just think the structure of it and everything, that I always go back to the fucking tipping scene with Mr. Pink, and, oh. <laughs> dude, like, yeah. just... Yeah, really, just the first scene is oh, so engaging to conversation. Yeah. Because every, everyone can relate to it, right? Mm-hmm. You get some people that are like, yeah, you know, you should be tipping like 25%, like on a fucking pizza or something. And then other people where it's <laughs> like, why don't the employers just pay them a fair wage? <laughs> also, see, very, yeah, Mr. Pink, uh, Steve Buscemi, that he raised some pretty good points. Oh, God, you don't want to get canceled over that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sid Kala, the non-tipper. The non-tipper, yeah, actually do not tip. Oh my I gosh! I didn't get that from the movie. I just uh, don't tip in general unless uh, I'm at a, I'm at a restaurant or something like that. In that position, I would tip if they actually served me. But say you're at a fast food place or something like that where you don't really need to tip. Um, yeah, in that case, or I'm just getting pickup from a restaurant or something like that, then I don't tip. So you do tip then? In in the well, yeah like occasionally well i mean it i feel like restaurants are places where like it's socially prescribed right you tip tip restaurants you tip uh hairdressers you tip i guess delivery but i mean fast food they offer it but i don't think anyone really expects it yeah yep yeah in the case where they offer it but you don't really need to tip there because they didn't actually go out of their way or anything or they didn't provide you any kind of service there they're just doing their job there so I would, uh, yeah, I definitely don't tip there. Do you feel like tipping is a good practice, or do you think it's something that really needs to, like, just get removed? It's been um, part of uh, this culture for so long, but it can be. I I think it's something that needs to go, but that's just just my opinion, because a, a lot of my points would, basically be reflected from what mr pink said (laughs) he yeah he raised a pretty damn good point like they should actually make it part of fair wage and raise the bar for minimum wage well Uh, if anything it's just it's an opportunity for employers to just underpay their employees yeah exactly and if they expect that their employees they're because they're getting tips they can get away and uh make do with it of less than optimal wage then they're actually going to stick with that wage and they're not going to increase it 
But if you do stop tipping, then you realize uh, the people that uh, you're not tipping actually cannot make do with that little money. Then you actually the employers you they they neither just quit or have the employers uh, uh, raise their paycheck. Well, the employee, yeah, the employer, I think, is required by law to subsidize, but no one ever tells you that. <laughs> right. No, eh. it's it's such a it's kind of a Marxist thing, right? Like you've got it's it's so weird because you've got employers in competition with their employees and vice versa, and at the same time, you have the kind of the battle between the employees and the public. Like, dude, if you go to a restaurant, you do, I, I'm scared because if I, I, I imagine if I like don't tip, next time I go into that restaurant, I can guarantee oh, my yeah, food's going like spat on, thrown in the urinal. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's my <laughs> biggest fear. But yeah, that's why I def- like if there's a place that I visit often and it's some place that expects me to tip, like a like a diner or a restaurant, yeah, then I normally would tip. Yes. Um, but not because of the social pressure or just uh, my paranoia that my food's going to be spat on, but it, it's some place that actually uh, you'd be expected to tip, not just so that's, because that's social pressure. Yeah, then, uh, not just be expected to, <laughs> but because you're kind of uh, you'd feel bad for them because you're not making as much money. Obviously. Sorry, you uh, tip because you feel bad. I mean, they're not. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I, I just no. That's I, I mean, the sentiments are true. It's, it's just to me, it's, it's so interesting because when I've talked to people who work in, you know, like actual like dining establishments and stuff, they are so mixed on whether or not like tipping's a good thing. Because on one hand, right. like I've had one girl who says like, oh yeah, well you know what, like it sucks working a Monday night because you know you're not going to get those Friday night tips. But the right. other people are like, there's teachers who sit there and pick up a part-time job at the keg over the summer because they know they'll get like 200 tips a night. So it's, yep. it's dude, it's it's so hard. And there, there was a hard. restaurant that sat there and they took out tips and just raised their food prices a bit. No waitress or waiter want to work for them. And I think the business went under. <laughs> it is indeed a uh, very controversial topic like lots yeah like i've asked friends about this as well like when tipping has actually come into play where like we're just having a meal at a day like a diner or something and some of my friends don't tip at all some of them do and the ones that do actually uh sorry the ones that don't i kind of ask my friends or like why 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 do you tip and that usually starts the tipping debate at the end of the meal, <laughs> which is pretty interesting. So you've had it enough times then? Oh yeah, I've had I've had my fair share of tipping debates. I, I like sometimes when I do tip, I find myself on the pro side of things, and when I don't, I kind of find myself on the opposite side. Well, you want to be you want to be hypocritical, right? Like if you're doing yeah, one thing and saying sure. another, <laughs> yeah, that makes you a hypocrite. Yeah, true. I I find myself as a product of my environment if you will of course so if i yeah so if the the um the norm there or just all my friends are tipping um i would normally tip if i've been served well for me it's it's definitely the type of thing where i do it anyways because of you know social pressures but for Mm -hmm. me the situations in which you tip i feel like is if you're like really like what mr pink said if you're really satisfied like they go above and beyond 
Like, not not in regards to, you know, bringing you six cups of coffee instead of three, but I've been to, like, a Boston pizza before where it's like, oh, yeah, can I get, like, an orange slushie? And they're like, yeah, sure. And I think there was, like, an allergy concern. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we can actually make that in grape. Like, we, we got extra syrup <laughs> in the back. And that's not something on the menu. That's just something yeah. they, like, did out of the goodness of their heart. So, for me, that's, like, hella typable. It's, right. It's, I mean, even in, uh, it's kind of like school, right, where back in the day it used to be, 80 and above was for above and beyond. Like if you're doing a book report presentation, you got that 80 because you're not only doing the book report, but you like relate it to the outside world and like did an extra activity. Nowadays, it's like doing the actual work itself is what gets you that 100, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I just feel like that's got to be applied to tipping. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you can get rid of tipping altogether, that would be pretty good. Because um, I... I'm definitely pro no tipping on that side <laughs> if you can get rid of it. But in the sense that when I said I don't normally tip, I meant that I would rather not tip. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's I think it's just cutting out the loophole, doing that. If they want to raise the food prices, that's fine with me. I just All I right. feel like there's just so much social pressure, and I mean like. Mm-hmm in one way by the idea of being enticed by you know the tip it's like i'm gonna do a better job in my job but shouldn't you be doing that normally right it's it's it's... if you if you find that that you've got a regular and they don't normally tip you wouldn't really want to go out of your way or do a good job at serving them right yeah because you know like no matter what you do they're not gonna tip you Dude, so, so sometimes they'll even chase there, you There's not too. really a lot of fair treatment there for no. customers. I mean, so there's you, a lot of issues like tipping can uh, raise. Yeah, if you go over to uh, like Asia or I think even in Europe, not maybe not in Europe to the same extent, but I don't think okay. tipping culture is huge in Europe. And if you go to Asian cultures, oh, it's I've definitely heard... not. It's not. It's not at all in Asian cultures. So no, I can. I've... I can tell that from experience. It's not very big. It's like very, very rare when it, someone like really went out of their way to uh, for your own good. Is it true um, that it's seen as a sign of disrespect? I've heard stories uh, like that. Of you not tipping? Of you tipping. Because I've, oh, I've, um, I've heard some people say like, no, I shouldn't be tipped. Like I'm just doing my job. Um. I'm not sure because I know, like I can tell from in, like experience in Indian cultures, it's not really seen as a sign of disrespect. It's uh, it's very rare, of course, but when it does happen, it's not at all a sign of disrespect. It's just you saying that they did a good job. All right, but yeah, as as we were saying, um, right, you really enjoy Pulp Fiction, but right. for me, dude, I I think it's honestly the worst of the bunch. Oh, why's that? I've tried getting through it like three times, and I can <sighs> see I can see where people like it. Like you know, just the quotability of the stuff, like the Big Kahuna Burger. Oh, is mm-hmm. it like Ezekiel the Third verse or something? Oh yeah, it definitely has a cult following. It's not it's not like oh it's it's so good like everyone's gonna like it. It's more it's definitely more of a cult following for sure. To me, like it, some people like it, some people don't. Some people that the the people do who do like it usually also enjoy Tarantino's other work and well, similar movies. 
people say it like really broke the threshold of storytelling. Like it, I know Reservoir Dogs brought in the nonlinear storytelling format, but apparently it was Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction that really like revolutionized it and brought it into the mainstream. So right. I, I can understand why people like that, but to me, it just, it, to me, Pulp Fiction seems like a movie where it's like, how can we pretend like we're cool? <laughs> as as we got uh, Fox and chat here saying English motherfucker do you speak it I, that's what I'm saying like it, it's got all these right. quotable lines but it feels like the no. plot just isn't very sufficient yeah it, it, the plot can feel thin because there's three completely like different stories you kind of have to focus on yeah. so because you get like with one, one story say you're watching one you kind of get used to its characters and then out of nowhere you just jump to another one and you're like wait this transition makes no sense because it's a, a different story and it has a different protagonist um but like that that may be uh, that like some people would be like cool oh there's like more the shorter movies within the big movie itself yeah, no, I, and, and I can get that. It's just I never found any of the characters extremely enticing. Like I thought, no. you know, I, I don't know. I just I thought they were like cool characters and everything, but just their, mm-hmm. their story, their personality and everything just didn't really make it for me. Like one of, one of what, what were the three plots? One was centered around Bruce Willis as a boxer who, what, apparently won the fight when he was supposed to throw it? <sighs> yep. Uh, one focuses on a robbery, and then obviously you got Samuel mm-hmm. Jackson, and I can't remember the other guy's like name, but they were there trying right. to like collect uh, the debt, John Travolta. Right? Okay, yep. John Travolta, Vincent Vega, he's the hitman, along with Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, I, it, it does bring the romantic aspect into it, but to me, it just it really mm-hmm. fell flat. <laughs> <laughs> and really, I don't know if there's much to bring to that because in the end, it's just some some movies hit some people some movies don't like i feel like some people might watch reservoir dogs and it's like well i don't care that this guy like you know is a psychopath or i don't care that (laughs) this guy is fucking not tipping (laughs) right so yeah to each their own there's um like like a lot of different directors like wes anderson and others like there there's like definitely a very quirk like a very identifiable quirk to these kind of movies and that's kind of how they stand out um with uh i'd say tarantino obviously there's the non-linear storytelling that's very prevalent in his movies uh and that's something that i like it's it's something that's not like not not ordinary it's something that stands out and it's kind of fun to watch yeah I'd agree with you, but you know what? Not for me, and I don't think it will <laughs> ever be for me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah like, like you said, Reservoir Dogs and Glorious Bastards, fucking fantastic. I don't think you can beat Oh, them. yeah. Django Unchained as well. Yeah. Now, something you uh, brought up to me earlier is the concept of the Amazon. Is it Amazon? What, what do they yeah. actually call it? Amazon. No. Pretty, so, uh, pretty interesting thing there. So what is it? It is a Zen booth, quote unquote. It's pretty tiny. So, I'm, as I'm sure you're aware, the condition of Amazon, Amazon warehouse workers is not completely optimal. Like the working conditions, they get, uh, I think, like I, I've had a friend who worked there part uh, time actually, really? and um, he said they they work like they they work 
eight hours a week, obviously. Uh, sorry, 40 hours a week, eight hours a day. They get like a 30 minute break and uh, two 15 minute breaks, um, which, which which you're like, oh yeah, that's not bad. But the entirety of the work is just straight up manual labor. Yeah. And when you factor in uh, that, you're like, oh shit, they're actually working for seven hours straight up manual labor. And that's obviously, and like the enclosed condition of the workplace um, might not be the best one for a lot of people. So Amazon came up with a solution uh, <laughs> or like a solution again, quote unquote, is these chambers, these wellness chambers, these mini boots where workers, when they're stressed out, can go to relax, I think. Um, it plays you meditation videos and stuff like that. Um, I don't really see how that's going to work out. Um, for one, like because of the environment of the workplace, like a lot of people would feel claustrophobic within uh, being enclosed in this tiny box. Um, yeah, it's something that's, I don't see it working, but would be pretty interesting to see how it turns out. I mean, is that is that kind of their response to all the backlash of the workplace conditions not being optimal, I suppose? Uh, it could be. I mean, I, from what I've heard, Amazon actually hasn't replied to any of the comments that a lot of people have brought up about this. They just, uh, like, after they had their release for the box, or they told uh, the press about this, uh, they actually have not replied to any comments, as far as I know. I think it's I think it's kind of an interesting topic because it, it really asks the question of macro versus micromanagement, and I right. mean it's 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 weird to say, um, kind of sucks to say, but when you're working for a company, you're getting paid like you work a forty hour a week job, you're getting paid the, for those forty hours, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like most workplaces don't have any type of optimal plan in place. To ensure right. that all that work is being done, so a lot of people might even be able to get by with doing like four hours a day and just you know scrolling social media, napping, playing mm-hmm. games, whatever the rest of it. And I mean, with work from home, that's made it a whole lot easier. Yeah, but with Amazon, sure. they've come down and they've really got down to a science where they know what people can do, they know how to optimize the workload and everything, and right. it's very restrictive. It's completely in a way really it is inhumane but it really does beg the question like how do you how do you you know make it fair because on one hand is it fair for someone to you know sit back for like an extra 20 minutes and scroll their phone during the day when they're being paid for that 20 minutes right i i mean really it's not so amazon just got to the point where they're you know optimizing their workers and i mean i guess the alternative could be maybe if you know, the workers wanted, they could get, you know, set up for eight hours a day, but only work the seven or whatever, like, I guess, six and a right. half. So they could take extra breaks whenever they want. But I feel like there would be backlash towards that. That That is a, that is a good point. But I feel like the boxes themselves can't be the only solution. Like something like providing more employer benefits or just improving the places uh, or the workplace conditions would help a lot. I mean, their breaks are actually already ridiculously short. So 
like a very simple idea would be to increase their breaks. Um, but like I said, like you, uh, like you said, you don't want them sitting like on their couch for like an hour just scrolling through their phone uh, phones and just being paid for it. Like that doesn't make sense either. But no. given the t- the amount of time that they get off is so small, would uh, just to boost their pr- productivity, uh, it would actually help to give them longer breaks. Well, wouldn't it isn't the standard like if you go work at like a Sobeys or a Walmart, it's the same thing, isn't it? Right. You get the half an hour lunch and then two fifteen minute breaks. That's what's legally mandated, right? Right, but like at Sobeys or at Walmart, it's not just a lot of continuous manual labor. Like so, there's like like sorting out items or like depending on what kind of uh, position you're working at at Walmart, like. Uh, if you're a cashier, like obviously you work your shifts, so there's not a lot of moving around or heavy lifting to do. But uh, in the warehouse, uh, there would be a lot of that stuff there. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I mean, it's I, I guess they're two different jobs, right? Because I mean, yeah, I, I guess they could probably optimize like produce and stuff, but. With cashiers, right. you're reliant on the customer, so... Yeah, there, think, there's no customers, you just kind of just stand there doing nothing. Yeah, and I mean, for those where it's, oh gosh, dude, I've had employers before where it's like, oh yeah, you know, if you're sitting there doing nothing, like, you know, you've swept the floor and everything, just sit there and look pretty, which, you know, doesn't <laughs> yeah, really work much. out for me. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, cashier, though, like that thing, because a lot of people, um, I usually prefer to do self-checkout anyway so you're a like self-checkout a of, guy yeah oh my gosh aren't, aren't you trying to fight against the corporations making you work as a, dude you're, you're a part-time cashier at that point <laughs> yeah pretty much oh my gosh you know, are you taking away are jobs taking over man oh, yeah, gosh. Jobs. oh i don't Ooh. on one hand like i, I like it as an option on the other hand i right. hate companies that are like just straight up going into it like you know we're we own like there's a no frills bias, and at that no frills, there's like one checkout lane, and then the rest is self checkout. And okay. my god, that one checkout lane, you could be waiting for like 20 minutes to get in there. Oh boy, it's it's almost like a forced way of doing. It. And I mean, with self checkout, you can get one person for like eight or ten of them, right? Because yeah, you just need someone there true. to provide quality assurance. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You, you can get away with just one person like manning like five counters like self-checkout counters like i think that's enough so like usually when i go into walmart there's like 10 of them and just two people like walking around seeing that people are doing what they're supposed to be and not actually just putting things into their bags and walking away yeah so yeah well i mean it does i i don't think most people are uh distrust or i mean like not trustful enough to do this but they could sit Mm -hmm. there and i guess you know if they're i I think it's the case where if you have an avocado you can put it in as like a banana and like save half the cost or something so um yeah there is Uh, yeah go ahead there is kind of a win-win i guess kind of reciprocal in regards to i guess you could do that if you wanted but in the end you're in the wrong right like you're mm-hmm. stealing and they're, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I just yeah. didn't know you're a pro self checkout guy. <laughs> I'm just astounded, <laughs> man. This is like the biggest thing that has ever been revealed on the Gravescast. 
Oh my god. Last episode. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Biggest thing revealed for this episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think if anything, though, going back to Amazon, is it almost right. the type of thing where we might need different standards for manual labor workers? Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, it depends on what kind of manual labor are you working. Um, I mean, it's like construction where you're also putting, uh, like, there's a lot more at stake there. But at Amazon warehouses, there's not a lot of stake to human life, but more like stake to the company's uh, profit. Yeah. No, you, right? you definitely got a point there. I just think it would be hard to standardize it, right? Because on one hand, oh, like, yeah. you know, if you say, hey, you can take an extra half an hour like paid break, that'd be great mm -hmm. for Amazon workers. But when it comes to, you know, something like Sobeys, it might not be beneficial because yeah. you're already sitting around, right? Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Really depends on the job, to be honest. So it's very difficult to standardize or generalize. Oh my gosh. We, we actually do have a Bezos supporter in chat here. John says, uh, yeah. Bezos is based for not allowing people freeload during work. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that is a very edgy way of thinking. But, uh, I think so, but dude, yeah. it's just it's just so hard. I mean, we're optimizing the workplace in regards to AI and you know computer uh, generated stuff, yep. but it seems like we also got human optimization. It's like where where does it end? True. Like, can you imagine your CS jobs where it's like you know you need to have a certain number oh of lines God. programmed an hour? Uh, <laughs> no, that that's just yeah, that's just not gonna happen, dude. <laughs> that Do sounds painful. I don't think anyone could do that. No. Now yeah. I now I imagine it comes to like when it comes to this like during COVID we're obviously pretty, you know, work from home based with the exception of, you know, more frontline jobs like nursing or I guess working for Bezos. But <laughs> do you feel like we're going to transition to more of a work from home or hybrid after the pandemic? Uh that is a good question cuz I've noticed uh, some companies actually moved permanently to work from home environments. Uh, they noticed a sharp boost in productivity of their employers. Uh, people, when they started working from home during the pandemic, actually in those companies seem to do a lot more work than they would in person. So even after the pandemic ends, they've moved to uh, permanently work from home. Uh, other places, or like just for myself, I would not imagine myself working from home. No? It is no. I, I do like there, it has its ups and downs. I do like the fact that I don't have to obviously travel for work. Um, I don't have to commute. Uh, I kind of I'm, I'm very comfortable working from home. It's like a very comfy environment. Uh, but there's also things that I'm missing out on. And it's very easy to get distracted when you're working at home. There's uh, not really any, uh, there's a, you can have roommates, you can have family that kind of, uh, that could potentially disturb you or uh, not let you work properly. But, and I think like going to work actually sets a standard for workplace conditions, for sure. Like that you need to work uh, well. It's having like your friends, your fellow employees together. There's there's just a different factor. 
Yeah, but I mean, you mo- you, yeah. fo- you you did say the productivity went up from work from home, right? I know you touched that, on the being home factors yeah. with like you know, you know, yeah, having your family that might around. be temporary. Like you need a lot more data. Like maybe when things go back to normal, people would actually prefer going back to work as opposed to working from home i mean obviously different people have different needs like they feel like some people find working from home is the best it's very suitable for them others don't uh the fact that like for cs jobs there's not a lot of there's not a big transition right because you don't need to be in the office to actually work as opposed to a lot of other jobs where you actually do need to be there so the transition is definitely the easiest. So in our industry, you might see a lot of people just continuing to work from home. Yeah. Um, but obviously that won't be the same for other industries. I think for me, I definitely want to be in the office, uh, weirdly enough. But I think it would have to be right. more of a hybrid thing. Like I, I can yeah. certainly see where people are coming from where it's like, I don't want to do a two-hour commute there and back from work. I can oh, just yeah, roll out. Sure throw on some pjs and be on the computer yeah. in two minutes wake up two minutes before your meeting uh put on some pjs and just be like yeah the, yeah this is great but yeah you're right because in our industry like the transition because it's like basically not a lot of people uh find themselves being more comfortable working from home uh, but i like i for myself don't really uh find myself as fun because of like in co-op, like a lot of uh, the the main point is to kind of network with other people. Yeah. And networking is really hard to do when it's remote. Like hanging out with other co-ops, uh, like talking to your managers, supervisors, asking for help from other employees. It's very hard to do that remotely, like making friends. Oh, for sure. And in, in person is just an entirely different experience. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I mean... It, on one hand, I guess one of the pros of work from home is definitely uh, <laughs> brings a new mean to business casual. Business on the top, casual on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> camera doesn't get true. Oh, dude. Can you imagine Can you imagine <laughs> the micromanagement of like, yeah, we need a camera like focused. Oh, my God. Body, no. Like, like the entire body. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure yeah. out the right way to say that because that sounds like a sexual harassment claim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Can you imagine being the employer trying to say that? Like, yeah, you know, we need a camera that shows your whole body like no, that's, that's just so stupid. yeah i i i think if anything though it, it all depends on how employers take it because mm-hmm. i mean as as much as i say you know like the optimization is good in regards to you know like you know finding out how employees can put the most output out i'm not a fan right. of that i mean <laughs> i'd certainly <laughs> rather have a little bit of downtime uh so yeah. i mean there's some employers that want you to be on like you know microsoft teams all day and if your mm-hmm. active status goes down, it's like, yeah, you know what? Like, even if your productivity's yeah. up, they're like, yeah, you know what? What are you doing, man? Off. Did you? Oh use yeah, the that's bathroom? not. <laughs> yeah, that's not so much true. Um, in the jobs I've worked at, because most of the people are away on Slack or Teams, like most yeah. of the times. So as long as you're doing your job, your throughput, like uh, you're doing your de- your uh, all the deadlines in time you're good like they don't really care that much oh you're away on slack doesn't matter or if you're away on slack during a meeting or when you're actually needed that's obviously a problem but if you're just your status is away or something like that then uh, i don't think anyone really cares that much 
Yeah. No, it, 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 like you said, it really depends on your job. I've never had that. Um, no, yeah, no, it's never been an issue for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Never really. It's, it, it hasn't been an issue whatsoever. Um, <laughs> a little bit of downtime and, you know, right. first couple jobs. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no. Um, if anything, I just think it, it's a good, I, it's such a toss up. I mean, for, right. for some people, you know, you, you want to have that productivity. You don't just want people sleeping half the day. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, if, if anything, I think if, if we went full work from home, for me, I think right. they have office spaces now where you can just go like rent for the day. Like I'd do that. I'd be that fucking uh, writer in the coffee shop doing my job as <laughs> you need that human connection. Right. That and makes I, sense. I just feel like you're missing out. But offices yep. apparently, some of them want to go back because the offices, like they just bought the office and they really mm-hmm. want to get the use out of it. Yeah, I think I've had my fair share of uh, Teams calls, Zooms calls, all those silly backgrounds. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I've had my fair share there and would actually like to go back to the office as soon as possible. Too. I just want my fucking yeah. degree too, not online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we like, spend- at this point... Yeah, we spent more time online doing our degree than we actually ever did in person, which is a damn shame. I mean, something else that kills too. I mean, you yeah. know, I it's not very because depressing. Of, we missed out on over half our degree. Well, like, I mean, where does it, that time go? It sucks for the classroom experience, but at the same time, I mean, we're already suffering some pretty uh, declining marriage rates. <laughs> here in canada <laughs> and i mean you know right. not not getting that opportunity to go out, interact you know meet new people kind of uh definitely stalls oh, yeah, that like, as well yeah because like university is like one of the last places like you'll make new friends because it obviously it gets a lot harder um after university to make friends not that you can't but it definitely is a lot harder because in university you have all these People in your same age group studying the same things. Very easy to make friends, all clustered together from all parts of the world. So you would definitely find people with the same interests. But yeah. say, like you start working, you've graduated, it's very hard to find people with similar interests or like make new friends. Because uh, then you'd also have like just work friends, but you'd also it's it'd be hard to make friends like that work uh, oh, outside sure. work yeah and having that lead even further right mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> well i mean I, I, seriously it's, it's harder to you know definitely meet new people and like foster those like romantic relationships after i mean really yep. really your uh counterbalance to that is find someone who uh will have that what i think i've heard i think it's been more in uh, how i met your mother but that family pact or not the family <laughs> pact but like when we're 40 if we're both on oh uh, yeah we, we got married i've seen that on friends i've seen that on so many 90s sitcoms it's a, it's a thing I, I don't know if it's a thing in real life it's definitely a thing in tv shows you know you're just like oh yeah we made a pact if we're both single when we're 40 yeah. then let's just marry. yeah i don't okay. know I, like that kind of feels like forced marriage because like um like a last resort and do you really want your marriage to be something that's a last resort in your life no like obviously you don't want to end up alone but you're just marrying someone for the sake of not being alone and not because you actually uh believe them to be the one quote unquote or someone yeah you you don't want to settle right 
I mean, yeah, me, most people settle, um, like in my experience from what I've seen. But like, uh, you normally, ideally, you don't want to settle. Me, me personally, I'm I'm trying to work on a forty pact. I've got a uh, friend named <laughs> oh, Fox. You who, you know, I'm trying to work on. You know, eventually maybe he'll make <laughs> the pact with me. But who knows, man? <laughs> uh, we'll see. I think I just gotta work it a little longer before I ask the question. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, for me, the, the coworker situation was ridiculous. Like in my first co-op, uh, one of my coworkers, I definitely, uh, you know, had thought, thought they were cute and everything. So, you know, oh, yeah. I, I tried to kind of keep in contact and everything, but by now it's been like a whole year since. And I don't know, I, I just, I don't know if you can go after like a year and be like, Hey, you know, uh, you, you want to go on like a date or something like that's <laughs> a year later. Right. I yeah, was I always subscribed to like the two week or like two year theory. Like I, I've definitely right. felt like, you know, you you know whether you like the person within two weeks and you gotta pull the trigger. Yep. Or sometimes mm-hmm. you get like I, I've had a friend who they were friends uh together for two years, like two, three years or whatever, and then they finally started going out and they've been together for like four years. Yeah, for some people it takes longer to realize that that is someone that they want to pursue a relationship with sometimes i don't i, I don't believe the love at first sight thing because no? like, i can't yeah no it's like it's not like how can <laughs> you know like without even talking person how can you know that that's the person you want to pursue a relationship with because like at that point you're just going after looks there's not really you don't have enough information about the person in the first five ten seconds i mean it's it's what Hollywood tells you. So you got to believe it. <laughs> yep. So not a lot of things Hollywood tells you is real. I don't I mean to break your bubble there, but <laughs> Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if anything, like marriage culture has been on the de- decline. Um, oh yeah. I mean, like the divorce rates are what, like 50% are so scary that people actually don't want to marry or just, you know, just be in a relationship with like not marry. Do you want to eventually get married? Um, yes. I what, definitely do. What would it take for you to get married? Um, so, like an ideal person that I want to marry? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I guess, that, I guess that's a simple answer, right? But I mean, like, yeah. at what point? In I, my I, life? When yeah, I, I guess. feel Yeah, when I feel financially and mentally stable would be something that's like um like the first thing i need to check off that list so we're talking right? like 22 21? oh no i don't know <laughs> i have a lot of college debt that i need to clear to become financially stable and the kind of a uh, program i'm in i don't think a lot of people are mentally stable either so oh my it's definitely, <laughs> there's a call it's out. definitely gonna yeah there it's definitely gonna take a decent amount of time for sure yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. I think for me though, yeah. like the idea of getting married in your twenties, even your thirties, like it's I don't think there's a rush, man. Yeah. Like I I listen to Bill Burr sometimes and I think he got married at like forty and then had like a kid mm-hmm. at like forty five or something, or even later. Oh yeah. Yep. There's just there's no there's no need to rush it and I mean there's so many people who they'll get married like right not right out of high school but they'll stay together and then you know they haven't dated anyone else they get married and then sometimes that mm-hmm. divorce comes. Oh yeah. 
So I mean, it's it is a pretty serious thing that you obviously you don't want to screw up. But uh, truth be told, like a lot of people do screw up, um, given how like the divorce rates have been and yeah. like pretty much everywhere. Um, but that also that also brings into question like what kind of marriage? Because like different cultures have uh, different ideas of what marriage is supposed to be. Like you yeah. don't always have the ideal falling in love marriage. You also have arranged marriages, where um, mostly prevalent. And <laughs> yeah, not 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 so much in North American culture, yeah. but it's definitely a part of Indian culture. Uh, and um, yeah, your parents kind of like where your parents or like your family in general pick someone for you, and uh, if you want to keep them happy, you know you have you have to say you have to say yes. And things like that. I don't. Uh, I I definitely I know that some people enjoy the idea of arranged marriages, but I mm-hmm. I don't know. I want to be the one to choose. I don't. I yeah, feel, definitely same. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I mean, there's it's such a big cultural thing that you know, yep. like it, if it's, you look, it's still if you look away, yeah, if you don't abide by the rules, uh, you kind of a uh, cast out. <laughs> they you lose touch with family. They don't. Uh, and not to say like they disown you completely, but it is very looked down upon. And the, the thing with culture is that the, the you might notice that the divorce rates in India are not that high compared to the United States. Yeah. So it's actually because like divorce is something that it's looked down upon in that culture. So most people, even in an unsuccessful marriage, they prefer to stick together just because of uh, social pressure because if you do get divorced that's something that's very looked down upon in that society oh you're totally right and i mean like i was talking to my grandma just last week and she was saying that she was like one of the only people she had ever heard like in her immediate circle who ever got divorced because she i think she won the court case like my grandfather was a little bit of an alcoholic and so Mm -hmm. basically you know she said alcoholism and i think mental distress or something was the reason she got divorced but she was a huge churchgoer and her pastor was like trying to convince her to like not break the sanctity of marriage and it's i I just feel like people are more expressive and i guess open to like freedom rather than just i don't know i mean just open to living their lives the way they want like you know sexuality uh gender like any like really the expression of anything we're starting to go like mm-hmm. really liberal, and I mean the generation <laughs> yeah. behind us is really showing that. It's true. So I mean, I I see divorce rates even going down even further. To me, I I just I wish there was a way of like not going common I mean, law though. Yeah, but like you kind of expect divorce rates to go down if people just don't get married much in general. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. But even like stuff like polygamy now is even seen a little more favorably. <laughs> so i mean some uh, people just live the different lifestyles uh me personally i think i i'd agree with you with you know i'd get married to the ideal person but i just I, I just think that there's no need to rush it there's no need like for me i wouldn't even want a big wedding i would literally just want like right. a backyard barbecue mm-hmm. i mean like make it cheesy as hell make it like oh yeah you know oh, like, yeah my vows would be like will you be my uh financial partner for tax benefits and just shit like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah Ugh. i mean like the thing is like a lot of people believe in having some like ideal person like the one 
which is a very stupid idea because even if that person does exist like obviously okay like let's say that person exists the chances of you meeting that person in your lifetime are like none like given the amount of population we have given how you're kind of just staying in your like one place unless you're traveling right you're restricted to a certain demographic or certain yeah. uh, type of people if you right so the chances of like the odds of you finding that person are basically none so usually you want to settle but not lower the bar too much you you got to keep your priorities straight yeah. right yeah and I, I i get what you're saying i just i don't know i i think it's yeah. i think it's an outdated tradition oh yeah definitely so you know what it, it is what it is now <sighs> now i think it, it would be interesting to go into some deal breakers uh right. do you have like on the surface do you have any like straight up deal breakers like if this is the perfect person for you but you know oh, in terms like, of relationships yeah it, it's the one it's the, it's the one in seven million you went to australia and met them you went to really wherever <laughs> and just met them yeah like yeah. W- what would be one thing no, that would be nice. like i just couldn't do that um i i actually don't know like i'm not not there's not something that that when they say oh i'm this and i do this that that's a straight up deal breaker like hip- um, hypocrisy but, uh, uh i guess but more so that they shouldn't be completely stupid yeah <laughs> something that's important they, so, they should be like an anti-vaxxer or something like that you know <laughs> so are you saying yeah. lower than average iq <laughs> not it's not just based on iq but i, I mean i guess yeah that would okay. that would definitely be important I, I think for me, one huge thing is like, you know, if they, if they don't like your family, then, you know, that's something like if, if they hated my mother without like a good reason and they just always go into fights with them, I, I can't right. do that. Right. So. Oh yeah. They, they have, they kind of have to get along with your family. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I came up with some interesting ones here, so I, I think it'd be interesting to hear from you and get your perspective. Okay. So. What if, what if, like we said, perfect person, one in like eight billion, eight million or mm-hmm. seven million, whatever we seven, got now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if they lived their life like they're in the 1950s, like clothing, talking, like what they want to do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's actually pretty interesting. I would not mind that because that's more of a, uh, that's not that strong of an opinion. It's just their lifestyle choice. But, like, again, it depends, because do they still believe in the ideas that were around in 1950s that seemed Ooh. okay? Yeah, right? I guess so. They believe in that. Uh, they would only, like... Then that wouldn't be okay. <laughs> they, they wouldn't let you get an Uber, because they only want to take <laughs> yeah. 1950s transport. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's just annoying. Complete that, snail mail. Deal, no social media. That's a deal breaker for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'd say for me, too. Um, yeah. I think if they want to go 80s style, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think 80s is a good era for that. Like, if if there's like some person out there who's just like complete like living life in the 80s, I take that. Right. I feel like there wouldn't be too many uh, issues there. So, but 50s, oh yeah, for me, total deal breaker. I mean, they kind of like my. We'd have the same uh, music preference as well. So same musical taste if they're 
like actually living their life in the 80s yeah so. oh god <laughs> fuck love the yeah. 80s music 80s uh, 90s mm-hmm. oh i can't beat it um okay <laughs> what if okay let, let's what if they get hammered every time they go to one of your family events <laughs> <laughs> um i would not mind that that would have, that would be actually very entertaining really you're you're telling me I, like they straight it's I like, would say it's not embarrassing at all. No, they puke. They like, <laughs> I don't know. They drop dishes. Like, all the, we're talking all like the power to hammered. them. Yeah, all the power to them to do that because that means I don't have to show up to every family meetup. You know, you. Yeah, I actually have an excuse to just drop out. You know. Oh my <laughs> and god. Just be like, oh yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, you're invited, and it's like, oh yeah, she's gonna show up as well. They're like, yeah, no, fuck you. We're not. You're not invited anymore. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't think I could do that. Really? You could do, like we're talking like man, she might even like hit on your dad. <laughs> oh no. Okay, that's a bit too far because that's just weird. Well, I but... mean think of think of the behaviors, right? Like drunk people, they well, oh, I wanna yeah. get it on, they're fucking loud, obnoxious, puke. Yeah, but it's out. not gonna happen every time. It's just the first time that I just told you they get hammered show. every time. No no no, like every time, but the thing is like we're not going to go to a family meetup every time after oh. the first time <laughs> like that's the idea like you show up the first time then you're like oh this is so messed up we are, we're not doing this thing again yeah that's kind of like a so, loophole no more fucking thanksgiving yeah, yeah. you can just do friendsgiving every time exactly <laughs> you know what yeah there's potential but for me i feel like i definitely could not deal with that not at all <laughs> it yeah. would it would be fun i think the first couple of times but eventually it'd just be like there there's an issue here man <laughs> Yep. And I mean, if you were to do a wedding, then, eh, I guess. Oh, no. You don't want to walk out the, the aisle, like, half drunk. Yeah, a couple of, you know, fucking, like, eight tequila sunrise. Like, you, oh, I, I guess you couldn't even get married at that point. Can you guys, like, yeah. can you get married while you're drunk? I mean, they do it in I Vegas. Feel, like, yeah, like, there's so, so many Vegas uh, weddings. What the hell um, happens to you can't consent? Like, you can't I sign a contract when you're drunk. How can you, how no the hell can you get sign a marriage contract when you're drunk? Apparently, it does happen. Very sketch, but like businesses do their thing. So, dude, that's a I never thought of that before. That's fucking wild. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> okay, okay. What if what if she's she or he, whatever your preference is, they? Mm-hmm. Uh, what if they're completely obsessed with social media? Like you guys are just going to mcdonald's and she has to post on facebook like oh, checked into no. mcdonald's ordering like that a 10 meal yeah. yeah that would that would definitely be annoying i would say that's a deal is it a deal breaker, breaker though it depends on their yeah depends on the extent of it though like if like on her first date like she just tweets oh i met this guy and like like shows like a virtual tour of my room or <laughs> some shit like, yeah that's just messed up man like i'm different <laughs> Okay, but what what if you found yeah. it out like later on? Like, let's say like six months, because actually that'd be interesting. Like, what if you found out they had like a full on blog and they like wrote about every day oh you my had? God. Like, you know, oh, Sid, no. he's a nice guy. He's a little shy, no. and he's <laughs> he's got a big nose. Is oh my just God. examples, but yeah, right. Um, I don't know. I, I like like I said, that would definitely be a deal breaker. I don't want. Uh, every day of my life documented like that for like the everyone to see so there's 
like some people don't have issues with privacy others do obviously so yeah i would feel that's definitely a breach i think for me it would definitely be like blogging i could deal with but just like the over-reliance on social media like if yeah, every that... time i was like trying to talk to her she like looked at her phone could not do mm-hmm. it it's, yeah it, it'll it's lot... so hard to get their attention that's so. that's a legit problem nowadays too man yeah so i mean it, it might it might just be a funny little deal breaker here but i think in general like mm-hmm. that might be something you have to watch out for yep definitely agree okay now i think the final one and it's an interesting one. What if she, he, she, they, what if they really like have a fascination with like sippy cups? Like they want to go to your family event and they want to drink rosé out of a sippy cup. <laughs> okay. That is a, that is a weird um, obsession. But as like, I would think that that's not a deal breaker. That's just kind of funny. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's just a funny quirk. This yeah, this this was one that I I had to, I had a discussion with friends about, and it was just it was so funny because I mean, I think one of them said like, oh yeah, no, it's it's efficient. They won't ever spill, right? Like, you know, <laughs> you, you, you have a beer, yeah. they're they're practical. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> I you know what for me it, it totally wouldn't be a deal breaker. Yeah. So I mean, like it, it, it's it's a quirky thing, but I, I think it's interesting to be honest yeah. with you. That, what that it, could be part of their personality, you know? Yeah. Okay. Final one. What if they're... Oh, actually, this... No, this is interesting. What if they talk about themselves like they're in third person? Like, it's oh. not It's not like, oh, you know... I mean, if it's, like, well-timed and comical, like, that's no, fine. just all the time. Like, every... All the time is just uh, weird. <laughs> but <laughs> it's so a deal-breaker. She has the same interest... Find same sense of humor, loves your parent, like everything. Um, but no, you know, you're that like, is a deal breaker. Yeah. Hey Kelly, do you want a uh, you know like do you want steak for dinner? Kelly would like, like a sandwich. <laughs> 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 it's like yeah, it's like talking to a Hulk or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or like you guys Hulk are in the movie like theater. It's like oh, Kelly really likes this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just. As funny as it would be for the first couple of times, you just get sick of it very fast. Yeah, I think... I don't know, though. Everything else is perfect. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Actually, can you it's imagine... It's a close call. Yeah. I w- okay, I would have to say it's a deal breaker just because kids. Like, what if every time they talk to their kid, it's like, uh, Kelly's going to pick you up from school now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Kelly is very proud of you I mean, and your grades. Like parents do sometimes talk to their parents like uh, in third person, right? Like, um, yeah, daddy's just making you dinner. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Stuff like that. But that's not, but, oh, but that's more of a younger thing. I think it's more identification, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, yeah, I honestly like it. I, I think just because of the kid aspect. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. not date the person, but I just don't think it could be like the be all end. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see it going any further. Yeah, I think there might be like two dates, but not a third. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think uh, that pretty much wraps us up. Then <laughs> that gives us a good oh, indication of your deal breakers and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got any shout outs or any uh, kind of take home messages you want to shoot out before we end this off? Uh no, actually. Uh, 
No shoutouts. I'm a quiet person. All so. right. Fair <laughs> enough then. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, as we said in every grace cast, uh, if you want to, mm-hmm. you know, catch us live, we do it every other Friday at 8 p.m. Uh, on twitch.tv slash nfgraves if you want to send an email with guest suggestions uh topics really anything uh feedback send it to the nfgraves at gmail.com and put in the headline uh gravescast please and thank you and then really the last thing is if you want to view us after the show uh you can go on spotify itunes really wherever you listen to your podcast and catch us there just gravescast so Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk Irish culture and uh, sororities Uh and a few other things. So it'll be an interesting one for sure. Uh, Anyways, thank you for joining us, Sid. And we will catch you guys later. Goodbye.